to be debated, but a truth to be experienced. Well, good morning, church. It is a great morning to uh, be worshiping the Lord together, and I'm excited to uh, do this last message on the Trinity series. Um, before we do that, I know a lot of people asked me last week, I had just gotten back from uh, England. I was kind of in a daze. I think I was here, apparently. Uh, I'm on video as evidence. I don't really remember being here, but... Um, of just kind of a report from that. So I uh, went for my graduation and uh, do we, oh, no, thanks. <laughs> uh, so there I am, University of Birmingham. And uh, so finished my PhD after seven years of uh, working on that. And uh, so glad to have that accomplished and done. Uh, do we have the, no, okay. Um, so anyways, it was a, a great time. I really enjoyed it and was glad I was able to go and kind of bring some closure uh, to that point in my life. So uh, mostly just want to say thanks to the church for all of your support. And some of you have just, uh, all of you have just been so, so kind um, to, you know, ask about it and say that you're praying and uh, celebrate with us. So uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, it's been a big year for us, 2020. This is the last Sunday uh, of the year, and um, this was just kind of a big year for me personally, including yesterday when I turned 40, uh, yesterday. So, um, you know, just everything's happening in one year for me. I don't know what I'm going to do after this year. That's why I went for prayer, uh, because <laughs> I just want to hear from the Lord about what's next. Uh, but mostly what's next is just to rest and uh, focus on what God has called us to do here. Well, uh, in this Trinity series uh, in the introduction that we had uh, um, four or five weeks ago, we talked about um, how the doctrine of the Trinity was first articulated, uh, even though scripture kind of talked about it, but in this council in Nicaea in the year uh, 325 and then kind of uh, a little bit edited in 381 by another council, and it's called the, the Nicene Creed, and it's pretty much the only statement uh, of faith that really all major churches agree on, which is pretty cool, whether you're Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or Anglican or Protestant or Evangelical or Catholic, kind of everybody subscribes and saying this is, we, we can all agree on this thing. And so uh, it's really based on a Trinitarian understanding of God, and you'll see how it's divided between kind of Father and then Son and then Spirit. So would you stand with me and let's recite, this is so cool, we get to do this, right, to recite this creed that was written almost 2,000 years ago that churches all across the world have been reciting and will recite this morning all over the world uh, called the Nicene Creed. So let's say it together and declare what it is we believe. Before we do that, I just want to define two terms. Uh, consubstantial just means of the same essence or of the same uh, being, kind of just the same. And then when the word Catholic is used, just so you know, it's lowercase c, so it just means universal. Uh, so before there was capital C Catholic, the word Catholic just meant universal. So it has nothing to do with like, the actual Catholic Church. It didn't even exist yet when this was written. It just means the universal church, okay? All right, let's say it together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, 
true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For all of us and our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. So be it. You may be seated. I forgot to mention I'm wearing my University of Birmingham hoodie in celebration. Got my little crest uh, here. So look very official. So I want to wrap this series up with uh, some concluding thoughts or applications for how to live based on what we've talked about. And our two goals for this series were to experience, first and foremost, the three persons of God, and then by understanding God as three persons, to better reflect together who God is. And so I'm really working from this understanding that the Trinity teaches us about who God is and what God does, and then therefore we can learn who we are and what we should do as worshipers of the triune God. So as a way to conclude this series and pull some things together and make application, I want to introduce uh, the two main ways of, of thinking about the Trinity. If you took uh, any basic kind of theology course and learned about the Trinity, you would come across these two ideas, and I'm just going to use them to kind of make our application. Uh, but there's what's called kind of the economic uh, Trinity and the imminent Trinity, and I don't know if we get, yep, yeah, we have them for you to understand, but the economic or revealed Trinity, kind of put simply, is just what God does in God's three persons. So these are God's actions as a Trinitarian being. And then often they, people talk about the imminent Trinity or relational or social Trinity, and put simply, this is just who God is in God's being as three persons, so as God's self. So these will make more sense as I kind of make some application, but let's talk about what we learn from the economic trinity, meaning what God does. See, God doesn't actually give us a definition of God's being in the scriptures. God only tells us in an explanatory way who he is once in scripture. And here's what he says. I am who I am. It's like, gee, thanks, God, for explaining that and clarifying who exactly you are. I am who I am. But what I think that means is I am who I show myself to be 
So pay attention. Read the rest of the story. And you will see that I am who I am. So who is God? What does he do? Well, I want to make a couple points. Number one, we learn by reading the scriptures that God sends, that God is in his being missional in his actions. Jesus says in John chapter 5, the Father has sent me. Well, what did the Father send the Son to do? Well, we talked about that in both the Holy Spirit uh, message and Hannah's message on Jesus, but namely to bring salvation. And I mean that in the fullness or the multidimensionality of salvation, the fullness of the term. So not just kind of saving souls, but also how it permeates and transforms every part of life and society the way Jesus did, freeing captives and offering hope, bringing God's shalom or flourishing to the earth. That was the son's mission he was sent on. And then what does the son do? Well, he sends the spirits. John 16, 7, Jesus says, I tell you, it is for your good I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so the father sends the son, the son sends the spirits. And there's lots of sending going on among the persons of the Trinity. So what's the application to the persons of God sending and being sent? Well, it is this. We are on mission. We are sent ones. God is a missional God, and we reflect that by being a missional people. And Jesus makes this very clear when he says in John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so we should ask, well, if we're sent the same way the Son was sent and meant to duplicate that, then how or in what context did the Father send the Son so that I know how I am sent by Jesus? Did the Father send the Son to go live it up, soak in all the pleasures of life, take an early retirement, make sure he got everything done on the bucket list? No, he sent him on a mission to serve, to lay down his life for others. And Jesus says, I send you on the same mission. And just like Jesus was given the Spirit as it is baptism to empower his mission, so we, the church, were given the Spirit at Pentecost to accomplish our mission. God is ascending God. And so to reflect him, we must see ourselves as sent ones, on mission. Second thing we learn about the actions of the Trinity by what God does is that God gives within God's being. God is generous in his actions, each person of the Trinity. John 3.16 obviously makes this so clear. For God so loved the world. What are God's actions? How do we know who God is? He says, watch what I do. Watch what I am. God so loved the world that he gave the most precious gift he could possibly think of. His one and only, the best translation is kind of really his unique son, meaning there was nothing like this. It was the highest gift he could give. 
And then scripture also tells us he gives to us his spirit as a gift. 2 Timothy 1.7, Luke 11.13, the spirit is called a gift sent to us. As was mentioned last week, God loves to give good gifts to his children, us. And so the application is, if we are to reflect God, well, then we are to be a generous people, and we're called to a generous lifestyle. One of our core values as a church, we have uh, six of them, is radical generosity, to be generous with our words, our time, and our money, and our possessions. And we're not just talking uh, about money, and probably not even primarily money. As uh, Jen Pollock, uh, Michelle uh, recently wrote, she says, time is the modern widow's might, the currency that is incredibly hard to sacrifice. Right? Money has actually become easier in our affluent culture, but time, I think, is what is most precious in today's very busy worlds. And when you give of yourself, you are reflecting the self-giving way the Trinity operates. And I love seeing this in our church because uh, I learned so much from being in community and, and watching all of you give of yourselves to each other and your community. And so let me just highlight uh, and celebrate a few stories to inspire us. Uh, someone recently gave up part of their home and, and their RV to house someone uh, also within the church who was in transition and needed a place to stay. And it was just such a beautiful story when I was told about it. Uh, when we recently put this call out for uh, sleeping bags and we said, hey, we need these within 24 hours. It's snowing outside uh, for people in need. Within 24 hours, you brought the 12 requested sleeping bags into the church. And that wasn't really about money. That was time, right, to immediately respond and go out and find them and buy them and bring them in in, in snowy weather like we have uh, today that day and make sure we had them so that they could be delivered to the shelter that needed them. Someone gave $2,000 to cover all the dinners for Alpha so that uh, we could serve our community in that way. And so all the meals were covered in that way. Another person on their own time and on their own dime made the desserts every week and brought them faithfully for Alpha. Someone recently came into the church with their favorite stain cleaner and said, I've noticed a lot of stains on the chairs and I'm here to clean them. And I thought, that's so cool. Like, that's great. Like, you see a problem and it's kind of like, I'm just going to give my time and do it. Uh, for our Arrington breakfast program, uh, a bunch of the, the ladies who bake, they made these incredible, I mean, look at those things. I don't know if you can see the detail on those, these incredible cookies and, and these beautiful cards, and they individually wrapped them, and they prayed over each cookie, and they wrapped them up, and they were able to present them to each kid, a part of our breakfast program, and we got you know, permission from the school to do that. Some of our volunteers, not staff, I'm talking volunteers, did you know some of our volunteers are here at 7 a.m. on Sunday and often stay till 1 p.m. on Sunday, particularly our tech people and our media people and our musicians? That's awesome. They do it because they're reflecting the giving of God, giving of themselves. The congregation gave $4,500 over the summer to support sending 20 kids from our church to camp. This, this past summer, so that 
Uh, very few of the kids had to even pay to go, and they could be in a place where they could encounter God. And here's one of the pictures from camp. Uh, when Christiana stepped down recently, it left kind of all these vacancies, but a bunch of people have stepped up to just each take on individual roles, whether it's volunteering for some admin, making the slides, uh, putting together the Sunday kind of uh, presentation there, or doing the live stream. Our Christmas family giving project uh, went out this week by the e-newsletter. E There's 221 items on there for families in need, people that we have relationship with through the school, through our breakfast program, and in other ways. We've already, just on short notice, we've already have people, as, when I checked last night, 150 of those items have already been signed up for. So there's just 71 to go. Uh, they're due Wednesday morning, except for the turkeys, which are due Thursday. Uh, so you can sign up, and uh, if you need the link, let us know. But uh, it's just awesome to see the response, and just all the stories of the way that I know you're caring for your neighbors, and and the sacrifices you're making, these are acts of worship, and they reflect our giving God. And so I honestly mean this when I say this. Thank you for teaching me about God in your self-giving lives and attitudes. And we need that. We need to inspire each other to see the workings of God in each other. And these are just Two of the many applications of how we reflect God, right? That God is, God is giving, that God sends, God is missional. But we also study uh, in the three persons of God how we learn simply from just who God is as a being. So apart from his actions, just who he is in his being. And I originally had a few applications, but time will only permit one. And so I want to talk about what we learned from what we would call the imminent trinity, uh, just meaning the relational trinity, who God is in God's self, God's being. And the main thing we learned from this is that God is relational. Have you ever wondered why there's three persons? I mean, God is God, so God could have, I guess, been anything God wanted to be right? Uh, a being in however many persons. But if God, was, if God was just one person, then, right, it would be kind of individual and lonely and uh, individualistic. Two persons for one being, well, it'd be kind of possessive, right? They would belong to each other. It could kind of be kind of insular, so to speak. But three displays true community, and communion, mutuality, and interconnectedness, and sharing among the persons of God. See, God cannot be defined in individual terms. You can't talk about the Father without talking about the Son. You can't talk about the Son without talking about the Spirit. You can't talk about the Spirit without talking about the Son and the Father. And it's why, actually, this series sometimes has been very difficult to isolate each person of the Trinity because there's no way to just talk about one without also talking about the other. You can't understand one without understanding the other. We struggle with this, I think, even in our prayers, right, when we're, we're kind of like going back and forth uh, between persons because we just know they're so interconnected in their being in their relational self. And we really need to talk about all to understand and know each one. And it's a beautiful communion of love. The three persons all draw life and pour life into the other. It's a giving and receiving. And we learn so much from this, but the main thing is that we are called into mutual relationship. It's just a part of who we are as beings. 
We are made in the image of God. Therefore, we are made for relationship and for community and communion with each other. There is no such thing as an individual Christian. We can only be fully reflecting God in community and in communion with each other. And we can only find our identity in relation to others. Meaning, I can't be fully known only in isolation, just like each person of the Trinity. I should have to say, you know, you want to get to know me, well, get to know the people around me, get to know my relationships, get to know my church community. They are part of who I am. And just like each person of the Trinity, no one or, or no thing can be beautiful on its own. A person or thing only finds its beauty in relation to everything else. And so society, if following the ways of God, is not a collection of individual human beings. That is not how we are made or designed. And the more individualistic we become, actually the less reflective of the Trinitarian God we are. And I would say actually the less human we become. We are called into communion and community with others, for that is where we learn about who we are, what it means to be human. It draws us out of ourselves, and it's why you can't, you know, have church uh, alone in your living room. Now, if you couldn't make it out of the snow this morning, uh, that makes sense. If you're sick, that makes sense, right? But that experience is meant to ultimately cause us to long for true community, knowing that we can't do it alone. So the Trinity matters. It impacts how we live. And I can honestly say, as my understanding of the Trinity has developed over the years, it's changed who I am. It's actually changed my behavior, how I act. It's pulled me out of myself to serve others more, to give of myself, to understand my mission, to cause me to stubbornly choose and commit myself to a community of people as hard as that can be sometimes because I know that's what it means to be in the image of the triune God. And if left to my own self, I mean, honestly, those who know me well would know, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a loner. Uh, I like being alone. I'm a little bit individualistic. Some of that's just due to like my childhood. I can kind of like do it myself, that sort of thing. I don't need anybody else. But studying the Trinity and particularly the, the relational or what's often called, called the social Trinity and realizing that to be made in the image of God is to be made for community, for relationship, and an interconnected web of mutuality and relationship that pulls me out of myself, right? That I can't be me by just being me. And this, this phrase in society that's so popular, you know, you do you, just be you, that's not actually a, a godly way of thinking about things because we are made for community with each other. I can only be defined in my relationship to others. And so I can honestly say studying the Trinity has made me a better pastor, a better parent, a better husband, and really just a better disciple. But I have a long way to go, and so do all of us. And we'll never have a perfect union or unity like the Trinity does, but it is what we should strive for. And so the equal and eternal existence of the three persons of God, Father, Son, and Spirit's, and their constant communion together as the one God. This was our definition. It has many implications. 
But let's just remember our main goal of this series, which is to experience the triune God. And this is so, so important to point out because I just kind of have, you know, and part of this series, right, is just drawing from 20 years of, of reflecting and thinking on this topic of the Trinity. But I want you to get this. Before I understood the Trinity or grew in my knowledge or knew what it was, I experienced it. And that is most important. That is the foundation of my life that has made me who I am. That's what transformed my life. Those extended times of worship and seeking God and experiencing the love of the Father, the salvation of Jesus, the comforts of the Holy Spirit, lingering at the altar in worship services, sometimes for hours on end. These were transformational parts of my life. And no amount of knowledge or learning can replace that. And so the final application as the band comes is that the Trinity invites us into deeper experience of and communion with God. Because church, here's the truth. You become what you behold. You will reflect what you behold, what you spend time with. And we are made by God for God. And the way we reflect him is to spend time with him. Beholding him, worshiping him, adoring God, pressing in to who he is so that we might be more like him. Communing with the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Knowing we are children of the Father by adoption through the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. So that we can cry out from our hearts by the Spirit, Abba, Father, I belong to you. And when we say it, know it's true through the Holy Spirit. So at this, the last Sunday of the year, believe it or not, because Advent was so early this year and we're not going to meet on Christmas Day, we do have Christmas Eve, but on the last Sunday of this year, would you make a commitment in your hearts to let 2023 be a year of deeper union with the triune God? where you want your heart to feel what God feels, know what God knows, see what God sees, love what God loves, weep when God weeps, rejoice when God rejoices. And I'll talk about this in our Vision Sunday later in 2023, but we've themed each of the years from 2021 through 2025 when we set out our, our faith goals, which we do every five years, but we, we themed each one with a key phrase in our faith goals document. And the phrase for 2023, which I think is just perfect, is go deeper, right? These past couple years have been about kind of stable, stabilizing after COVID and kind of just, uh, you know, relaunching some things and, and that sort of, but 2023 we thought is all about going deeper, right? The foundation has been kind of reset after all that chaos. And now it's time to go deeper and to make disciples and to become lovers of God. So would you just commit in your heart to start that? It all starts with January 1st. We'll have a New Year's blessing service, 11 a.m. only that morning. But it's a time where we just commit the year to God. It's great that it falls on January 1st this year. I love it. We can just start the year right. But for now, would you just begin to pray? We're about to just close in singing and adoring God. But it's good to take some time to listen. We don't want to just hear a message. We want to respond to a message. 
It's just a good time to listen to the Spirit and say, where is the Spirit inviting you to go deeper in 2023? To grow in your knowledge of God, to grow in your experience of God, to grow in your relationship with others because we really learn about who God is when we're in relationship, when we're watching each other. Believe it or not, not everybody's like you. We need to learn from each other. I need to be challenged by others who aren't like me. Just say, God, where are you calling me to go deeper in this coming year? And what he might do is he might just give you a, an idea of something little you can change or tweak that will make a huge difference. You know, maybe he just says, dedicate that five-minute drive to work to me every day instead of listening to the news. Just sit in silence and enjoy my presence on that drive. You know, maybe it's don't have your first cup of coffee until you read a couple verses from the Bible. That won't work for me because I'm grumpy before I have my coffee, but it might work for you. might be calling you into prayer time with your spouse or your family. Maybe you're going to start a neighborhood Bible study. Who knows? We're just opening ourselves up to the Spirit of God. So Lord, I just thank you that we're made for communion with you. I thank you that we can hear your voice comes through quiet, small ways, comes through very loud ways sometimes, comes through the voice of others, comes through a still, small voice in our spirits. Lord, it comes in so many ways. I just pray that we would be open as a church to hear from you, that we would be a people who know our loving Father, who appreciate the great gift the Father gave through the Son and who receive the gift of the Spirit so that we might know you and be more like you. So as you continue to listen, why don't you go ahead and stand and if you're still listening, that's fine. You don't even have to sing the words, you can just let them come over you. But we're gonna sing this song of adoration to each person of the Trinity. We're gonna do it in a round which Hannah will explain, but this is just a beautiful way to close off our series and then I'll close us with a Trinitarian blessing. If you were following Jesus in the 70s, maybe you've been waiting for us to sing this song as a round. Please stand with us. 